welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Milner, a teacher who is painfully curious and very easily inspired. In this third season, I explore my interests as the main focus of the episodes. If you have listened to seasons one and two, first of all, thank you. Second of all, this season will be a little different. It will still be centered around interesting topics and their connections to education. I'll continue to have interview episodes, maybe a top 10 episode here and there, since they are very popular, but also some episodes will be just me sharing about a topic, similar to my podcasting with students episodes from season two. New episodes come out every other week. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from listening. It really helps the podcast grow. Thank you for supporting the teacher as. I hope you enjoy season three. Well, hi there. My name's Luke Little. I'm the director of the Independent Schools Cultural Alliance, or ISCA for short. And what I do in my profession is I use, um, utilize travel as an educational tool. And I really believe in the power of travel as an educational tool in the way that we can help our students learn, but learn by seeing, by exploring, by feeling new places and new topics rather than solely learning in a classroom. So our specialism is bringing school groups from all over the world to the UK for a three-week programme in July every year. And when they're with us, the students will visit lots of places, they will learn a lot about British history and culture, but not in a classroom, but by seeing and exploring uh, the places uh, that, that we are visiting. I suppose for me, the most important part of what we do, though, is it's, it's more broader than just learning about history or learning about British culture. It's about broadening our horizons. So we have students from all over the world coming together at the same time. So for me, the very best part of, of the type of travel that we're fortunate to be involved in is having students learn about other cultures from around the globe. And of course, also being able to share their own culture, because sometimes we don't get enough opportunity to share our own culture um, with those who don't understand it. And I think you know, if there's one thing I wish all of our students could could have for the future is is a cultural understanding. Um, I think now more than ever, that's that's so important. That's so amazing. I'm sure educators listening right now want to know a lot more details. So, um, <laughs> so I think what you said was that students from all over the world come to the UK. Is that a true statement? That's absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. So we work with with partner schools around the world. Uh, and those schools are, they apply to be part of the Independent Schools Cultural Alliance. And then they're allowed to promote this three-week program to their middle school, forgive me, I should have said middle school students. And then a teacher from each school brings a delegation of students to the UK in July each year. But once we're there, we really work as one, one school. So this year, for example, we have 23 schools coming to the UK in July. And that makes up a total of 185 students. So whilst we're in the UK, we're effectively one school of 185 for the three weeks um, learning about British history and culture, but learning about each other. You know, that's the main thing. Do you do a lot of like getting to know you team building things? Do you send them off into separate little groups or do you stay together when you're traveling and do you set up little cohorts? How does that even work? Yeah, no, it's a really, really good question. I think, you know, the, the beauty of the program is, is cultural difference. And the most challenging thing is cultural difference. Um, and we want to, 
to make sure everyone's integrated together. So we have, have you ever seen Harry Potter? Yes. Of course, or read it more importantly. So a bit like in Harry Potter, you have the four houses. Uh, When we are in England, uh, we have four houses, four boarding houses, and each student is assigned to one of those houses. And whilst we keep the school groups together, they will be intermixed with other students from other schools. So they're already mixing in the boarding house. So their bedroom, everyone has their own bedroom, but their bedroom might be next to somebody from Argentina or Australia or Peru. Uh, So they're mixed in the houses. And also all of our students, the one thing they all have to have is they do have to have a fluency in English. Oh, okay, That helps. Absolutely. So although for our Argentinian and Peruvian friends, Spanish is their first language or Portuguese in Brazil, etc. And we use something called the language of inclusion. And this was created actually by uh, the former head of an international school in Brazil who said to us, you need to use this phrase, language of inclusion, use it from the start. And the beauty of three weeks is you have time at the start to implement how you want to run things. So we always say language of inclusion, language of inclusion. And the students, they're so malleable at that middle school age that very quickly everyone's talking in English and you don't necessarily need to force it. You need to facilitate it. So whether it's the pool table in the boarding house or the table tennis table, they just slowly start to get to know each other. Uh, Of course, we do do activities at the start, um, team building games, and so on, just to try and get that interaction started. But what we tend to find is we set up the situation and the students do tend to find their way. And that's not to say, of course, that we don't uh, encourage them along the way, if that makes sense. Right, right. Wow. (laughs) To me, it's, (laughs) you know, as as a teacher, it's overwhelming. You know, I have always taught elementary, but I know that middle school and high school do these trips all over the place. And it's always seemed overwhelming to me, just the logistics of it all. So, um, and I'm sure with COVID, I mean, yikes, <laughs> yikes, yikes, yikes. So, uh, you know, how do you plan where you're going to go? Like, what are your decisions behind what you're going to teach and show the kids? Yeah, so we, we start from the basis of we're in the UK for three weeks and to achieve those two goals, which is introduce them to British history and culture, and allow them to get to know global cultures. Those are our two key objectives. So to achieve that, we work on a three-day cycle for the three weeks. So day one and day two, we go off, we leave our school, which is in the countryside in Surrey, um, southwest of London. Uh, It's a a 200-acre campus. It's beautiful. Uh, We leave there and we go and see various different sites. And every third day we stay at the campus. And that's when they have time to make these uh, interactions with with students from around the world. So in terms of where we decide to go on those two days, of course, you know, we do have to hit the big sites. So (laughs) if you think about, if I asked you, what's the first thing you think of when I say England? um, I'm I'm not sure what you would say. There's a couple things. There's the, you know, the big band and there's those soldiers that have to say (laughs) Buckingham Palace, I believe it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And um, so well, exactly. So so Big Ben. Um, interesting fact is, is ne- most people have never seen Big Ben. Big Ben is actually the name of the bell inside the clock tower. And um, uh, well, I mean, I think that's interesting, but then I'm, I'm yeah. a, a history, history tour leader. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so we go to the Houses of Parliament. And one of the things that we're allowed to do is we're actually allowed to go inside the Houses of Parliament. So that's a good example. The oh, students wow. don't just look and take a picture from the outside, but they go inside, they stand where the Prime Minister stands, whoever that is at the time, changes quite a lot at the moment. Um, <laughs> and and they, it kind of really brings it to life. And um, similarly, you mentioned the, the royal connection. Of course, the Queen um, and, and the royal family are a huge part of, of British history. So we go to Windsor Castle, which is yeah. where the, the Queen lives. We see um, the, 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 the yeoman, yeoman guards, um, which is, is the people you see standing very still and upright. <laughs> uh, so, so we do all those things. And I suppose, the obviously, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is a huge thing. Stratford-on-Avon. Absolutely right. Stratford-upon-Avon is the birthplace of William Shakespeare. And, you know, uh, 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 it depends, depending on school, but a lot of the students will not have studied Shakespeare when they come to us at middle school, but they will be studying uh, Shakespeare or certainly knowing about Shakespeare in uh, high school or even in college and they, if they move on to, uh, on that route. So, right. you know, going to Stratford-upon-Avon, and I don't know if you can picture this, so a kind of a midsummer's day in England, middle of July, uh, believe it or not, we do get some quite warm weather sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't rain all the time. <laughs> and we all we all go into Stratford-upon-Avon. And one of our ethos is, is, if nobody thinks we're a group, we're doing our job right. So we have one teacher for every four students. And when we are in these places, we obviously have a, a rough idea of where we're going. We, we go to Shakespeare's birthplace uh, and we go to the house where he wrote his plays. We go and see his grave at Holy Trinity Church, but we're student led. So we have the places we're going to visit, but the students in groups of three or more independently will lead their decisions about where they want to go. And, you know, I think them having that agency over their learning means they just pick up so much more from the trip. You know, it's not me saying, right, we're going here, then we're going here. They say, right, well, let's go to Shakespeare's birthplace first, because, you know, we really want to see that. And that was the start of his life. So that's the start of our day. Then we're going to go into this cafe, which is very quaint in English. That's something a bit different. And then we're going to go and see um, the theatre in Stratford, and then finish off with his graveyard. For example, they might make that decision. Um, and it just brings it to life, you know. That's, oh, okay. So that's a wonderful tip, I think, for any field trip, is if you can get enough parent chaperones and get enough so that you have those smaller groups, let's say you're going to the zoo, those kids can say, hey, we want to see the lions first, but the other group wants to see, you know, the orangutans first, right? Or, you know, see the chimpanzees. Yeah. So that that little bit of voice and choice, I think, is such a wonderful idea if you can get enough chaperones to to go with those smaller groups. What a great tip. Absolutely. I mean, I love that idea of, of voice and choice. Um, I mean, I think one of the failures we sometimes have as educators with domestic trips, particularly, is there's this idea that it's a day away from school. Uh, they're going somewhere new and we just focus on um, the broader what ratio do we need? rather than what ratio would give the students the best experience. Yes. Because if you're asking parents in, you know, to contribute towards the cost of a trip, and it doesn't matter whether it's going 10 minutes down the road um, to an art gallery or a zoo, you know, you want to make sure, I believe, that that's the most fullest experience they can have. So, you know, when I do domestic trips and help out with schools I know in the UK, I'm always amazed that we have one adult for every 15 
students because okay we can keep them safe but they're not you're not going to let them go off on their own because the beauty of letting them go off in groups of three or more and usually they're groups of four five six is essentially a teacher can shadow and you know you don't need to give them complete freedom you need to give them the uh, the feeling that they have independence, they have control, they have agency. Yes. So I suppose that would be a tip if you can be fortunate enough to get get more leaders on on trips, whether they're local or, or international. It's really wonderful. Of course, it's slightly easier locally because you know you don't have the big costs of taking additional leaders. I, I just think it really improves the whole experience for everybody. Yeah, I think that that's a biggie. You know, I've been teaching a long time. I've been on a lot of field trips. And I agree when we've had more chaperones and been able to have those smaller groups, you could tell the students are much more energized and they're getting to go and spend the time or the amounts of time they spend at one thing compared to another thing is up to that small group instead of everybody. And the teacher decides when we move on, you know, Plymouth Plantation, like all these places are really those smaller groups. I think that's that is really the ticket. That's such a great tip. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, the um, we're very fortunate that the teachers who accompany the trip, normally the teachers are fighting over who wants to join the trip, as you can <laughs> imagine, because for the teachers, it's, uh, it's a free three-week trip to the UK where, yes, they're going to see all these places, but they're also going to be part of a, a global community of teachers. Obviously, you know, a Peruvian teacher, an Australian teacher, a Japanese teacher, they all bring different... And pedagogies of how they approach education so that's interesting for a teacher you know but also it's it's I think I think it's just really nice for them to be able to lead the students in that way and one of these teachers who was the head of the uh, the British school at one of the uh, in one of the cities we work in in South America he was saying in a classroom if you have 20 25 students of any age in a classroom you don't teach them all the same way you know that, that that's a very sort of um archaic way of thinking about teaching um you never do that so why when we do trips do we often try and deliver the same trip for everybody and that really struck me as a really really struck home thinking yeah of course we don't teach everyone in the same way so why should we expect everyone to get the same um out of a trip to the zoo by following the same itinerary so i I really that i think that's a great message as you say to, to really try and personalize it as much as possible of course finances are Uh, an issue with that but one top tip is if you speak i've always found if you speak to the sites directly and say i know you only give one teacher place for every 12 students but you know we have a group of students who 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 like to learn in a certain way please could we bring another teacher they will always say yes we've never had them say no okay you know of course it's it's not about it's, it's not about making something up but it's just about at the end of the day if you're a zoo or the Houses of Parliament or Buckingham Palace, you're very happy for young people to be enjoying and engaging with these places, but you want them under control. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little tip that someone told me and, and, and uh, I, it's always been helpful. Okay. That's really good to know. Cause we have a zoo trip coming up at the end of the year and hopefully if COVID is under control, we'll actually be able to go to the zoo. Cause it last year it was a remote thing of course, where they just, they did a zoom thing and it's just, it's just not the same, no, <laughs> it's just not no, the same. No. but also, you know, just having the kids there. And again, being able, I just, I think that, you know, voice and choice is important anywhere, but like you just said, it's almost even differentiation. Yeah. 
Exactly. It, to, to use to use one more example, which which might prove helpful um, in in this sense, just on that topic, is you know when we go to the, the Tower of London. Um, sorry, forgive me, I didn't ask. Have you have you been to London? I have not. I have not. Oh, really? Wow, this is very exciting. Then I feel like I'm flying the British flag of uh, tourism. <laughs> Um, well, listen, you must you must come. And if you come in July, you're very welcome to join us. It would be, uh, you can Ooh. see what we do. Um, we often have teachers who are not part of an official group, but but, but come and join us for a couple of days as, as part of their learning, um, oh, which okay. is obviously only if they're in the UK. It's, it's a bit far to go for a professional development day, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or that would be good. So the, the Tower of London... Um, Tower of London was was constructed in in 1067 by William the Conqueror, who who was basically the start of of our modern monarchy uh, after the Norman invasion. Um, so Tower of London was constructed on the east side of of the city, and it, it, so many things have happened there in the last thousand years. Now we take the students there because it's it's a key site. I mean, it's quite a, it's one of those postcard sites if you like. If you go to England, you really should go and see the Tower of London. But you could spend you know, and this goes, because this is probably the same for many places you might visit domestically or internationally, you could spend three days there. You know, we have we have three hours. So what we do is, is we always, and this is another key thing, we always introduce concepts beforehand. So we, we give the students enough information to make an informed decision about where they want to explore. So the Tower of London, for example, um, has the crown jewels. So the Queen's crown is kept at the Tower of London. Um, and, you know, for the students to be able to see the real crown jewels, not a replica, but the real things, just, just the other side of admittedly very thick glass, it is amazing. Um, but they might not be interested in that. They might be more interested in the dungeons because obviously it was a, a very famous oh, um, yeah. prison. There's a, a sign on the wall which says Traitor's Gate. You know, those who come in never come out. And, and it's that kind of more dark <laughs> history. Um, yeah. Henry VIII's second wife, Queen Anne Boleyn, was beheaded at the Tower of London. You can see the spot where that happened. The King Richard III, very famous Shakespearean villain, he locked up his, his nephews in the tower to become king, and, and they found their skeletons 300 years later. Is that the winter of our discontent? Is that? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Made glorious by this son of York. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you can't possibly go to all those places, but you right. the students decide. And I think that's that's great. And that's probably why they learn so much. I have a question about that, because, again, I'm you know, you're talking about this amazing place in London. I'm talking about, you know, the zoo, but it's the same concept. Would you I mean, I'm just starting to think about this. Would you give them the layout of the zoo, for instance, and have them in the groups that they're going to be in for the trip? And sort of make a plan of where the group wants to go first. Or do you wait? You They learn about the different areas, but then you wait till they get there and spontaneously they decide. So one of the interesting things about the three weeks is uh, the approach we take in week one is very different to week three because they've got to know each other and they found people with like-minded interests from other schools. In week one, um, we, we brief them beforehand, a bit like you said, not quite with a map, but we brief them on the places they want to see. And we encourage them to, to speak to their friends about what they're most interested in and get themselves into groups. Oh, okay. So then they're interest groups. Gotcha. They're in interest groups. And then, of course, as a teacher, you go, hang on a minute. <laughs> there's, there's a group there we're not quite sure about. Because obviously, you know, you've got to 
think about safety and um you know timekeeping as well teacher um, discretion right exactly uh but then again if you have a group that you're slightly worried about you just follow them closer you know you, right, you, right. you just say someone is definitely following that group um so they choose their interest groups and then away they go but also it's quite nice when you don't do that and you split them randomly because they've got to collaborate they've got to respect each other's interests yeah i think with with the example of a of a zoo you know if they if, if some students were particularly interested you know in you know sub-saharan um, animals and some people were interested in more sort of what's going on in oceana some people were more interested about american like domestic animals then they could choose their topic uh, that they're interested in and they could really focus on that area maybe there's slightly more interactive things they could do on that trip whether it's um close encounters or uh, ensuring that you know a, a lot of the places at the zoo will have certain feeding times certain um talks at certain times of the day on certain animals exactly yeah and then and then you know you, you're allowing them to really focus and I- enjoy what what they they a deep dive really into what they're interested in so for instance we teach you know animal adaptations so wherever they go at that zoo trip, they've learned about that. And you would hope that they can apply that knowledge to any of the learnings and any of the animals they see, you know, or, you know, they read the placard and it talks about, you know, you hope that comes through, but sometimes it's not about a learning goal. It's about just experiencing. And that's something. Yeah. Cause you know, it, it, yes, it will help with the learning goal, but it's also let's just understand animals and appreciate animals. And as years go by, I have more and more kids who are angry at zoos. Well, that enclosure isn't, you know, that enclosure isn't big enough for a tiger. Absolutely. You know, you might have a group that's actually interested in investigating the zoo for how their enclosures are being fair to the animals. Like who knows what the interests would be. I have, uh, I have very much, a you know, some strong, uh, opinionated kids Absolutely. this year, and I totally could see a group just focusing on, you know, you know, this is not fair to animals, kind of thing. Uh, I, absolutely, and and that's that's something that we always have to change, don't we? Our approach of of how you know make, making sure everything we see is kind of up to date. Um, it might, might be a challenge to to explain to the people who are who are running the zoo that that that's what that group are going to go and do, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it, I'm sure it could be interesting. Oh uh, wow! So. I mean, I already have so much here. I have, um, you know, having those smaller groups so that there's more choice um, and and also sort of, you know, I think all teachers give the concepts before the field trip. So that's not necessarily new, but the idea of having them sort of discuss of what they've learned, what are they most interested in for this field trip and grouping them by interest i think is such a wonderful idea yeah and it's that it's that as you say introducing concepts first but one of the things we're fortunate um to be able to do and i know but i I think this is still possible in the regular school timetable but it depends on on obviously time constraints because you know everything's possible if we had an infinite amount of time right (laughs) um you know, we one of the philosophies we have is is no classrooms for three weeks. Um, not just because it's the summer, and for for most of the students, although not all, 
from around the world. It is their holidays. Some of the students come in term time. So although we have to put academic learning at the heart of what we do, we, we do it in, in a very experiential way. So if, if I may share one example, um, the HMS Victory ship is a very famous um, sort of old, old warship. It's like a sailing ship um, that's moored in Portsmouth in the United Kingdom. And it's where Lord Nelson um, was killed when he was directing the Battle of Trafalgar in the Napoleonic Wars 200 years ago. Now, that topic, whether you know, you're an enthusiast of maritime history enthusiast or not, and most <laughs> students will not be, that can be pretty dry. So before we do it, what we do is we, we, we assign the students, we always work in groups of 30 or less, but with this, we have 30 students and we assign 20 of them to the French and the Spanish combined fleet of Napoleon. And we assign 10 of them to the British fleet, which is about the ratio of the ships in the battle. Of course, sailing ships can't go when they want. They have to walk, uh, sort of travel in a certain direction with the winds. So we give them a, we kind of mark out a space on a playing field of where they can travel. And of course, the way those, if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean or, or Master and Commander or any of those films, of course, the way you win a battle at sea is with cannons. Yes. Of, of course, we're not going to give them, <laughs> give them anything <laughs> like that. But we thought, well, what can we what can we do that will kind of something they don't want to get, you know, get hit by effectively, but something that won't hurt them, which is obviously incredibly important. Um, so the idea was created that we'll give them water balloons to simulate cannon fire. Oh, yeah. But, but, but in the battle, one of the reasons that the smaller British Navy won is they were firing their cannons every three minutes, whereas the Napoleon's fleet was sort of every six, seven minutes. So it, those on the British fleet had more water balloons than the others. And then we started the battle. We, 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 we sort of walked forward in formation. Of course, once you go forward, you can't go back. Water balloons flying everywhere. Okay, it's a lot of fun. But we were amazed at how much they learned from that because the following day when we went around this ship, they were asking, asking the, um, the guides questions and going into detail. And the guides were so astonished that they actually sent us a letter, at which I, I keep in my office. And it says, you know, we have school groups all the time. We have never seen an international school group because obviously these are not people who have any particular affiliation to, to the British Navy and British sort of direct line of British history, know so much information. So, you know, I think as always by making things fun and interactive, um, it can really work. But uh, yeah, no, certainly when we're teaching, the the, the day where we do our, our water balloon reenactments of the Battle of Trafalgar is... I know for me and and uh, Michael, who you know, <laughs> it's one of our highlights. <laughs> yes, and it's so interesting. You know, simulations and role playing and all that is is so great. Except, and this was a good case of using a simulation, but um, that can be tricky because you're putting, you know, depending on what part of history you're doing. I think simulations can actually be actually harmful for kids. Um, you know, if you're talking about masters and slave, and you're you, know, you don't you don't simulate no, of course, that. Of course, um, yeah. But this is a perfect example of, you know, when a simulation works beautifully, clearly. Um, yeah. And I mean, water balloons come on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, exactly. And I think you're exactly right. It has to. It, it it only really works when there's there's no big power differential between the two the, the, right. the two actors, if that makes sense, because you don't right. want to be. Be getting involved in any of that but but at the same time one of the really exciting things about history at the moment is is how we reflect 
on on the kind of very Western-centric, white-centric view of history we have. And it's a very exciting time to be to, to be involved because context is obviously incredibly important. I don't think you'd find any historian that thinks context isn't vital, but you know, allowing students to question, I think, is is so valuable. Like with your example with going to the zoo, you know, I'm not sure sh- w- would we have had a group of students very keen to to talk about how this is this is not right. These pens are too small. These enclosures are not right. Would we have had that twenty years ago? I mean, that's just one example, perhaps. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it's a really exciting time to be doing these things, and and especially in a in in a global environment. You know, when we go to Stonehenge, oh wow, we have some Argentinian, you know, five thousand years old. No one really knows why it's there. But I'll never forget an Argentinian boy turning to his friend from Australia, who they they just met, you know, a couple of weeks before, saying, well, this is just like Moai, the Moai heads on Easter Island, you know. And the Australian boy said, well, what are you talking about? What's that? You know, that's, that's just as impressive, if not more impressive than Stonehenge. But Stonehenge dominates the discourse. Right. So to have that challenged, I think, is... You know, I just personally believe life can only be enriched by having as many different cultures as possible, um, you know, involved. That's such a good point. When you knew you were going to come on to do this chat with me, were there certain things that you were like, oh, I have to make sure to say this or, oh, I have these top tips for traveling with students or was there anything that just really stood out to you before we finish up? Yeah, I think we've, we've, we've had a really... Um, a really in-depth chat and, and covered many of the the topics, the, the kind of things that I was thinking of. I, I suppose, I suppose for us, it's all about that seeing a trip. And obviously, our trip is is three weeks, so it has to have a lot of preparation. But even with with day trips, see the whole thing as a process and don't see it as a standalone trip. Because you know, doing a trip, whether it's to the zoo or to an art gallery or to another country and another culture. You know, it is one of the things that certainly for me, when I think back to my time at school, it's the things you really remember and students really value. So as teachers and educators, I think it's really important we we think about the whole process. So what are we going to learn by seeing? How do we facilitate that learning? Can we give the students control and agency over their learning? Can we be student-led? Does that mean we need more teachers? Um, and, and obviously introducing concepts first um i think i think they're the most important things when you're trying to achieve anything which is all about experience you know anything experiential learning which which covers anything outside um outside the conventional kind of classroom environment i just think is 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 so valuable and just by doing a little bit more work on the on the on the way groups are mixed i know it's uh, teachers as <laughs> teachers time is the most valuable thing and it's you know we all wish we had more time but you know, by 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 sort of thinking of the secondary advantages of a trip, you know, maybe a couple of students who didn't really know each other, maybe didn't get on, but they can they can bond over a shared interest in, you know, the, the tigers at the zoo or, um, you know, <laughs> Shakespeare or something like that. Making sure that every student on the trip has a chance to explore their interests, you know, not using that one size fits all approach we wouldn't teach 30 kids the same way in a classroom right we shouldn't expect 30 kids to have a good experience with a standard trip we need to make sure we tailor as much as possible i think that would be my my top tip i mean we're 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 very fortunate to be able to sort of focus really on just 
I mean, you know, it's slightly different, but essentially delivering field trips is what we do. And so, you know, when you spend all your days of the year focusing on that, you really learn some interesting things. And and, and I, I would also say for us, having a diversity of thoughts on our team, we have a, a board who help us and they are um, they're people who almost all have been involved with middle school students, but they are from every corner of the globe because it's that whole ethos. What works for a student from Boston won't work from a student won't necessarily work for a student from Los Angeles, let alone a student from Sydney. You know, so it's all about that diversity. That's wonderful. So where can people get more information about ISCA or get in touch with you? Absolutely. So um if they want a bit more information about uh, ISCA or ISCA, they can go on to iscaschools.com. That's our website. And there's a contact uh, button there, which comes straight through to me if they want to contact. Um, so that would probably be the best way. And, and, you know, we have a lot of people contact who, you know, don't want to do the two or three week program with their school, but just want a bit of a, a few a few thoughts on how they might be able to run their own trips. And, and we're always happy to provide that as well. So it's not just, you know, obviously we're always delighted to welcome new new groups, particularly from the USA, because it's slightly underrepresented on our program. Um, you know, we we in the last we ISCA's or ISCA has run for 40 years. This is our 40th year. And in the last 10 years, every school from the USA who's been part of our program has come back every year or every other year, which is wonderful because obviously they're getting value. Yeah. But we're always looking for, for new, new schools to give their students the opportunity. Um, it, we're very much still school led and we, we tailor, but it just takes the pressure off schools. I mean, there's so much for teachers to do at the moment, having somebody organize the trips, um, but also still be able to tailor to to your particular students, I think is really valuable. So yeah, yeah please do visit the website um, or ISCA, ISCA underscore schools on Instagram. You'll see some of the kind of fun online stuff that's that's been happening, obviously with the pandemic. Uh, we were able to, to run our first post-pandemic trip to Scotland uh, just after Christmas. We welcomed 25 students from the USA and Argentina to Scotland in the middle of the Omicron wave, but oh, we kept everybody my. safe. Wow. I mean, you could do a whole, you could do a whole other podcast on keeping kids safe in a pandemic. Right. Um, and what it taught me is, you know, we obviously all, you know, health and the well-being of everyone is is number one priority, but there is also a real cost of not not trying and not doing these trips, you know. So it's not a zero-sum game by just not running uh trips, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, outside of our safe environment. So yeah, it was super, you know, a lot of fun. And we're looking forward to, to July this year when when we'll welcome welcome our, our schools back to the UK. Wonderful. Is there anything else you want to say before I ask the last question? <laughs> no, not not at all. <laughs> I just want to say um, you know, thank you so much for for having me on and and for those listening, thank you for for joining. And um, yeah, I hope I, I hope it was uh, informative. Of course. So the last question is, it might seem kind of strange, but it's something that I love. What is your favorite movie and why? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um, <laughs> I suppose it depends. I'll, I'll just have a have a think about this because, do you, do you know, actually, I was thinking, where am I going to go with this? And then the answer came to me straight away. And I don't think it will be something you expect. But a movie that I think kind of... <laughs> 
has British values at its heart and has the values that I, I, I really hope that we, uh, and, and not just as our as ISCA, but also as me personally, we we kind of want to, to show, and I would love my children to have these values, is um, Paddington. Have you seen Paddington? Oh, those are the sweetest movies. Uh, it's it's just it's a wonderful movie. It's 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 uplifting, good for the whole family, and I mean at its core, it's about friendship, courage, you know, acceptance, trying new things, being being an outsider in a new environment, but quickly becoming an insider. I think it's it's more or less everything we've talked about. Yeah, it <laughs> so, is actually. That's um, a really good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure. If any friends are listening, they'll be thinking, "Why hasn't he said Harry Potter?" But no, Paddington. Paddington is the uh, is the answer. What a good question! I might I might start asking that myself. Yeah, it tells it tells a lot about somebody. It really does. <laughs> you learn a lot about somebody from their favorite movie or movies. Yeah, you must have had yeah. some great answers on that. But yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right, so thank you again. I appreciate you all the way over across the sea coming on to talk to me this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.